You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. First of all, a garden, it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look. Bleep you, this is, this is our way. Yes, loud. Stevens is pretty smart and knows what he's doing. That 3 and D roll. Oh, it's the T-League. If I had uh, Antoine Walker's body, I'd be an all-star. Hey, everybody. Basketball is back. 11 episodes in to the Banners broadcast, the official podcast of Celtics blog. We've been doing throwbacks. We've had so much to talk about over the offseason. The team came and went. We have a brand-new roster this year. And just like that, it makes the preseason that much more exciting. So this is the first time pretty much in my whole, whole life watching the Celtics that I've been pumped up, ready to watch the Celtics in the first preseason game. It's been talked about at length. Around the league, you get maybe 400, 500 fans at a preseason game. Celtics were practically sold out last night, and that just tells you the anticipation for this team this year. And the number one thing yesterday gave us was really that first vision of this team, what it looks like, what all these players are capable of. Aaron Baines impressed not only Tommy Heinsohn, but us as well. We're going to get into him today. We're going to get into who we feel good about, who we feel bad about after the first preseason game, as well as some breaking news tonight on the Marcus Morris front. I'm not going to do it alone. We have Greg Casoli with us today. We have Celtics Blog's newest member, Matthew Chin, with us today. Matthew, introduce yourself to everybody. you got to let them know who you are. Yeah, uh, nice to be here, Bobby, Greg. You know, I've been at Celtics Blog for a couple weeks now, um, so hopping on the podcast. And you know, what a time to be writing about the Celtics covering the team. It's been a long, eventful offseason, and overall, it's just good to have basketball back in our lives. There you go. Now you know him well. You're going to get to know him over the course of this show. My first impression of the Celtics yesterday, we might as well get right into it. The Celtics hustle is back, and I don't think there was any more sure of a sign of that than the fact that it's a preseason game. Uh, you know, everyone's just getting into the swing of things, but they were diving for loose balls yesterday. It felt like they dominated Charlotte in that department. It's tough to get a read on it because it's a preseason game, of course. You don't know where everyone's energy level is at. 
It's just looking at how the Celtics performed in this game. Aaron Baines was crashing the rebounds hard. Marcus Smart, typical big man box outs from the point guard. It's just, and you saw the versatility of the team too, but more than anything, the energy level was there. You had Brad Stevens saying before the season the pace was going to be back up this season. Last season, it felt like it was down a little bit from the year before. But one thing this team really honed in on a couple years back during that uh, improbable playoff run was making all those energy plays every night, earning that recognition as a try-hard team. And now that they had top-tier talent, I wasn't sure if that was going to be there this year, but yesterday in particular, it was there. Greg, what stuck out to you yesterday, just getting a first look at this team? I thought they looked good. I enjoyed the offense a lot. I think they look like a team that wants to move the ball. I don't know that they particularly moved it all that well yesterday. It was a weird mix of sort of over-dribbling and over-passing from Kyrie. Um, so I think he still needs to kind of find that sweet spot within the offense. But I was mostly just excited uh, to see them on the court. It wasn't the prettiest game, but um, good to see them hustling, good to see a win. The one other thing that really stood out to me was this difference at the end of the bench between the team's youngest players and some of the I wouldn't call them veterans necessarily because a guy like Tice is still a rookie in the NBA, but he's just clearly so much further along than Yabasele or Ojale or even Tatum. Uh, I think those guys have a lot of work before they're really going to be playing, contributing meaningfully. And so that stuck out to me a lot is that there's going to be need, this need for a balance between giving the young guys enough time to grow into people that can play well. Uh, and also, if you're trying to win games in the present, sort of allocating some of those minutes to guys like Tyson Larkin. Well, the Celtics just added two top-tier players at the top of their roster, so we might as well start off talking about the bench. I wrote <laughs> extensively yesterday about how impressive Tice was to me. You said it well. He just seems light years ahead some of these younger guys when it comes to footwork, when it comes to his two-way versatility. Defensively, he impressed me. I was surprised, and Keith Smith tipped me off to it, but I didn't listen. He can shoot the three, which is always a good thing with this team. And uh, his energy was there. He said it after the game. He was just trying to bring some energy off the bench. There's a void to fill when it comes to points. So I think we can all agree that Tyson pressed yesterday. He's definitely warranted of some uh, more minutes. In short minutes, he produced heavily yesterday, which is all you can ask for out of a bench guy. Did anyone else, Matt, in particular, stand out to you yesterday? I know Tatum was impressive in his first showing. Was there anyone really that stuck out to you, whether it was on that bench unit or in the starting lineup? Yeah, a couple people really stuck out to me uh, in general. Uh, Obviously, you talked about Tice a little bit. I thought he did a little of everything. Uh, a little bit of rim running. He was trying to dunk everything at the hoop. Attacked a closeout uh, to get an and one toward the end of the game there. Obviously hit a long three. Got an offensive rebound. Kicked it out for a wide open three. So I thought you saw a lot from Tice. Uh, he's such a fluid athlete. I think when you see him play, you can tell that he's you know had five years of professional experience playing in Germany. Uh, his team has won three of the last uh at championships in the German league. So I was really impressed with him. And then also Aaron Baines uh, starting at center, a little bit unclear if he's going to get the starting call uh, with Marcus Morris away from the team right now. Uh, But I was really impressed with what he was able to bring. Uh, He's someone, and I think his skill set is something that the Celtics have really lacked uh, since Kendrick Perkins, kind of a bruising big man uh, who isn't afraid to crash the glass 
on both sides. Uh, he got into it a little bit. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, I love to see that fire mm-hmm. in a preseason game. Um, and uh, he's he's uh, really knows his role. He knows what he's good at, uh, setting big, heavy screens, finding creases for those 12 to 17-foot jumpers, and just being a big physical presence inside. I mean, he, yeah, they... They did a little bit of a post-game interview with him, and he talked about uh, how he's not afraid of contact. He's someone that really embraces it. And I think along the Celtics front line, they've been so small uh, over the past couple years uh, and stressing small ball lineups. It's nice to have that kind of option when uh, you seek some of the bigger players who are just handling the Celtics, especially down the stretch in the playoffs last last season uh, with Robin Lopez and Tristan Thompson and guys like that. It's nice to be able to deploy a big man like Aaron Baines. Yeah, we've talked a lot about Baines and what to expect from him. So him more than anyone, it was really nice to see him out there in a starting role playing extensive minutes. He got into that second stretch of uh, the bench unit where he was able to get some minutes with him, them as well. A lot of things stuck out. He had a quick release whether, when it was Kyrie, whether it was Smart, dumping out to him after they drew some defenders off of him. His range isn't great. Only goes out to about the edge of the paint, but he's deadly accurate when he gets that look around there. It looks like he's going to be able to finish, clean up around the glass. There's a lot of things to like about him. We saw a lot of him yesterday, and it's a great point. Amir Johnson, as much as I loved him, clearly on his last legs last year into the playoffs and it just seems like Baines is a fresh version of him we've compared him a lot to Johnson doesn't have the three-point shot like Johnson had but it seems like he's going to be able to contribute in a number of ways it's going to be very interesting to see in what capacity they use him because he's definitely going to be a useful skill set that there's really not another guy that does what he does on this roster it's going to be very useful tool for them to be able to use Matt Great point. They haven't had a guy like that since Perkins. Be able to bang. You look at that Chicago series last year when Robin Lopez was terrorizing them, when Gortat was terrorizing them in the second round on the boards. It felt like if you plugged Baines in there, it would have been a good counter to that. So it's great they finally have him out there. We got to see quite a bit of him. Tommy Heinsohn. <laughs> Tommy Heinsohn oh, got to see a little bit more of Baines. There is no... No way we were going to do this Banners broadcast episode 12 today without talking about Tommy's insane content. And life insurance. Okay, I took a look at Baines in the shower. I, I, he looks like all of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> he is really put together. We, I, I talked about it at the beginning. This game didn't need any more hype, any more excitement, any, anything else to put our eyes on it with all the hype around this team, all there was to see yesterday. And he goes out and makes the call of the season in the first preseason game. I, I, I don't even know where to go with this because I'm going to hand it off to Greg. Did, did he actually see Baines in the shower? Like, what kills me most about this is how matter-of-fact he said it. Like, he was doing his due diligence. I took a look at Baines in the shower. Like, it was something he had to do. <laughs> yeah, I was actually at the game, so I didn't, I didn't hear it live. But I came back home, and Twitter was a buzz. Um, and it was just, like, almost surreal. I just kept watching this little clip of it over and over <laughs> I've never heard someone so casually just like throw out. I was looking at people in the shower. So it was pretty. It was pretty classic Tommy, though. Um, it was like weirdly comforting. 
I, I said it last night. That is never, ever, ever a good way to start a sentence. I took a look at so-and-so in a shower. <laughs> and, and typical Mike Gorman to just brush it off, keep rolling with it, ignore all the crazy things that Tommy says. Uh, is there anyone in the league who has more job security than Tommy Heinsohn? Like, he knows he can just get away with saying whatever he wants, and he can you know, take the away games off, chill in the studio, let Scal travel with the team. Like, it's just classic Tommy Heinsohn. Yeah, and if he did take a look at Baines in the shower, it seems like he'd be the only person to ever have that kind of access to the team. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was listening to some podcasts. Like, guys who have covered the league for hundreds and hundreds of games were just like, I, there's no circumstance where I would be near the shower. <laughs> I, I'm dying. I don't think anyone's ever going to ask him again, but I'm dying to hear if he actually was like, what, what was he doing in the shower? I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we're not going to go dig any further on that. I know some other people were talking about what he meant by that. I'm not even going to try to guess. So coming out of this game, there were quite a few guys to feel good about. Tice in particular, Baines. We'll see what kind of capacity Baines plays in. We know he's well put together at this point, as Tommy told us. But, um, you know, Matt, Matt, um, Michael Pina was on the show last week said he talked to a Celtics executive who didn't think Baines was going to be a starter on this team, thought he was going to be more of a Tyler Zeller-type uh, role where they were going to plug him in when they needed some height. We'll see after last night. I know things are very fluid there. They're still testing their lineups. So I wouldn't take that at face value because things can change once they start to see some things here. Um, in particular, last night, there were a few guys who definitely – we're not as impressive. Uh, Shane Larkin came in, ran some bench unit minutes. Um, definitely was impressed with his passing. He definitely showed the pick-and-roll prowess that a lot of people have hyped up about him. But when he was pulling up, a lot of bricks yesterday. And those are to be expected in the first game, as Brad Stevens said afterward. So a little bit down on him. Uh, Yabusele, or Yabusele, as I love to call him. I love to mispronounce it. Very not yeah. Greg shaking his head, and rightfully so. Was not a good game from Yabusele. Perhaps the most disappointing performance of anybody out there yesterday. He was getting turned around when he was getting switched on. His footwork, and I'm the king of footwork, was not impressive at all. Was getting turned around. Guys were getting behind him defensively. Uh, he just sort of seemed wild in his approach to the game. He was out of control. It felt like and. People pointed out to me he had ankle surgery, so that is obviously a consideration right there. But how are you feeling about Yabusele after game one, Greg? Uh, about the same as I felt before game one. I haven't really had any expectations for him in this year. I think uh, he just hasn't had enough time playing against NBA-level talent. So it was a little striking to see, like, just how bad he is with the ball <laughs> in his hands. Yeah. Um, but at the same at the same time, watching someone that massive move as well as he does is really encouraging. So I think I think he just needs to spend some time in the G League and hopefully playing some like mop up minutes with the real team as well. But he's just he's not there yet. 
So they threw him out there a lot at the center position, and uh, I, don't, I don't think he's been playing very much center over in China. Uh, he's only 6'8". Obviously, he's a big, wide body, uh, you know, strong upper body. But I wonder if center's really his natural position, and if, if that's something that they really want to go with when they stress positionless basketball on both sides. Uh, obviously, for someone who, if they're going to deploy him as a center, uh, he has pretty good, um, you know, defensive versatility on the perimeter. Uh, I I just wonder if he's going to be able to hold up against the biggest guys uh, when it comes down to it. And then the second thing is uh, he's a guy that plays with a lot of weight. Uh, he's yeah. someone who prefers to play on the bigger side. And how does that transition? And uh, when he goes to an NBA schedule, a full 82 games uh, coming over from playing internationally, uh, is he going to be able to handle that wear and tear on a nightly basis? Um, so perhaps uh, he can because, you know, he has – uh, the reputation of having uh, the happy feet and being able to dance around the dancing bear. Yeah. Uh, but I wonder if his conditioning uh, really needs to improve before he can do it uh, on a you know ten minute, fifteen minute plus uh, basis per game. It's a good point, and I think that's going to be a big theme in particular this year is how healthy they sustain themselves over the course of the season. It definitely looks like they have the personnel to give guys a night off to get some extra rest there's a new training staff as jared weiss told us over the summer they're really trying to employ a lot of new technology um kind of fuse player health with analytics kind of tie in all parts of the organization um, between scouting between training staff between analytics like they're really trying to pull everything in to make their efforts more consolidated and they have had injury concerns over the last few years between Isaiah Thomas and other guys. They've gone banged up over the course of the year. Marcus Smart talked about, over the summer about how the extra weight was really wearing away on him. And you do have that concern with Yabusele as far as technical aspect of his game goes. I really love to look at the footwork and how guys um, fare in that department. It's why I love Jason Tatum so much. He has some of the best footwork I've ever seen from a young player. And with Yabusele, like, I, I question the foundation just watching yesterday. Yesterday was really concerning for me as a guy who hyped up him a lot. Up top, strong, really put his hands up well on defense, but moving in the right direction, putting his feet where he needs to be defensively. A lot of people have talked about defensive concerns with him, and they definitely showed themselves yesterday, Greg. Yeah, I mean, I just think he's got a lot of learning left to do. And I think... There's just an explosive, there's an athleticism to him that is like really rare in terms yeah. of being that large and strong and being able to jump the way he can. He had a dunk in warm-ups where his head was like up over the rim, which was crazy to me because he looks like he's 350 pounds. He's, <laughs> um, I think that's just like, it's hard to walk away from that. And I think the Celtics will and should be really patient with him in terms of helping him figure out where he needs to be on defense how to be efficient in his movements and on offense. Um, he's got a long way to go, but I think, I mean, obviously it's been one preseason game, so it's not time to give up on him just yet. I, I was a terrible host and completely missed the fact that you were at the game yesterday, so I got to uh, redeem myself. I was there. I was actually there too. Oh, oh, so nice. we, we can get from yeah. both of you guys. Yeah. The atmosphere seemed amazing for a preseason game watching on TV. I caught second quarter on. Place seemed pretty full, electric. There was so much hype for that. For like, I, I bet the ratings on the game were fantastic. Perhaps record-breaking for a preseason game for them. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the crowd definitely seemed like it was possibly record-breaking. What was the atmosphere out there like, Matt? 
Yeah, I mean, it was electric. Uh, I've been to a couple preseason games, and this is definitely one that stands out to me. Uh, I, I got there probably a half hour before tip-off, and it was pretty full. Uh, you know, they they did a, a dunk line uh, in the in the warm-up lines, and, and that got the crowd going. And I think there, there was a, a heavy cheer for Kyrie and for Gordon Hayward and for Tatum when he got the ball. Uh, there was definitely a, a palpable electric feeling within the crowd. Uh, and they I think it just is based out of curiosity. With only four players returning on this team, they want to see how everyone meshes together. There's a ton of excitement, and you've never seen this kind of turnover from a team that is coming off of a 50-win season, winning their conference, making it to the conference finals. Uh, so this is a, a rarefied arrow right now in the NBA for what the Celtics are doing. Yeah, another great point, Matt. Uh, yesterday, I knew it was going to be weird watching, like, in the aftermath of that Cleveland series and what the team looked like then, just watching a completely new team take the court. Four out of five starters new to the team, or new to the starting lineup, that is. Jalen Brown was here last year, and it was different. Uh, just watching Kyrie carry the offense, it's insane to even see him in a Celtics uniform. It's, it still hasn't really even sunk in yet, the fact that he's here. Hayward wearing green, um, you know, even some of the new faces on the bench, how many new guys there are there. It was shocking. And uh, at times, you could kind of see the lack of cohesion there. They've been together for about a week, two weeks. Like, it wasn't all there as far as cohesion goes. Did you notice any lack of that, Greg? Uh, definitely. Um, I think... The the first unit on offense in particular was there were just these moments where and they they made did a lot of things really well where they'd make two three passes and then just sort of do something strange either make an extra pass or um, maybe take an extra dribble that yeah, was a lot of extra felt, passing yeah it just felt different from how easily things clicked last year but I do think I mean they still produced a lot of good looks. Um, missed a couple of them, sadly, but I think it was just a little bit of jitters um, and still getting used to playing with each other. Yeah, and it was interesting. You obviously don't care about win or loss in the preseason, but Charlotte did make a few good runs, and uh, especially with some of the lineups they threw out there in the second half, just complete, uh, I don't want to say guesses, but... Brad really just threw guys out there and was like, uh, the best to you. Marcus Smart didn't really play at all in the second half, and they always seemed to lean on him to produce for that second unit. Terry Roger was playing a lot of point guard, then it turned over to Larkin. Um, it was different on that second unit. It was just kind of do what you can do and see how it goes. And Jason Tatum made plays. I was extremely impressed with how his game translated, at least to the first preseason game. And uh, they did just enough. Tice, the run he gave them, got individual efforts really added up yesterday on that bench unit and pushed them ahead of Charlotte's bench unit anyway. Um, I want to talk about Tatum before we move on to the breaking news tonight. Matt, I am a huge Tatum guy. It's just refreshing to see a guy so developed in his rookie year be on a team that really needs a guy of his age to contribute right away so it felt like just the right fit for a team that was losing a lot off their bench and yesterday one of my favorite plays he turned down on Kemba really took advantage of that mismatch and you know a quick few hesitation moves pulled up and shot right over him uh, a lot of great post-ups 
great uh, moves from the perimeter. One of my favorite moves is when he gets it out on the three-point line, does a quick jab step, and then makes his way to the rim. Got called for a travel on one of them, but he was polished. Uh, he really showed just how skilled he was in game one. Not a lot of hesitation from him out there. I was, I don't want to say blown away because it was a lot of what we saw from him in college, but it does look like he's going to be able to contribute right away. I think Celtics fans are going to be very refreshed by Jason Tatum as a, as a young player. I think Danny Ainge has earned this reputation lately of drafting a lot of defensive specialists yes. that have kind of a broken jump shot. Uh, you know, going back in history with Avery Bradley and Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier and after they traded the first, uh, the number one pick to Philadelphia, I thought all the writing was on the wall for them to go with Josh Jackson. And, and I'm not entirely sure that Tatum is is better than Jackson, but I think for what the Celtics bench needed, uh, a polished isolation scorer, uh, someone who has an NBA-ready body, 6'8", but with a really long wingspan, someone could get his own buckets. I think Tatum is a good mix from what they've been doing in the draft the last couple of years. And the way he played last night, uh, for me, it was a tale of two halves. I thought when he checked in midway through the first quarter, uh, he definitely seemed a little bit nervous, a little bit reluctant to take a couple shots. Whenever he got the ball, the crowd was egging him on to launch something up. Um, so I, I remember when Doc Rivers was here, uh, he used to talk about how they didn't run a lot of plays for KG early in the game because he was just like so hyped up that he would <laughs> throw the ball like and shoot the ball like through the backboard. Uh, and that's kind of how I felt about Tatum in the first half. But then, Bobby, you were talking about a second half was a really different story. Uh, they ran more of the offense through him. Uh, he was uh, isolating against guys and, and, and looking at mismatches that Kemba Walker face up was, was great. A couple nice drives from the left side. Um, so, and, and Brad said, the first thing he said about Tatum in, in the presser was that he has a lot of room to grow and that he's going to get there and that one of their main priorities this year is to develop him. Uh, so it'll be an interesting, interesting season because how much do they prioritize developing Tatum when they're also trying to compete for an Eastern Conference championship, maybe get to the NBA Finals. You know, it's not every single year where you see a team of this caliber have a number three pick, especially in back-to-back years where they need to stress both youth development and trying to uh, kind of polish off their championship hopes. Yeah, it's almost impossible to see what the final product's going to be this year because it's such such a unique dynamic. You still have that youth infusion we talked about all summer, but then you add two guys at the top who are two of the better players in the league, but in Hay- Hayward, um, Irving. So the dynamic of the team is really up in the air at this point. Lineups are going to be a constant, constant conversation. We're going to do a ton of shows about lineups this year through October, November, it feels like. And one area in particular that definitely looked to be a black hole yesterday was that small ball four position. Perhaps the most important position on the team when you saw how important of a role it played in their run last year. Crowder played phenomenal in that role through the first two rounds. Horford moved over well to center, and that was that. Now Crowder's gone. No clear cut who it's going to be. Tatum played some of it yesterday. Semi Ojale got some run there. Yabusele, as you said, Matt, played a lot more five. And uh, Horford even got to play a little bit of four as well next to Baines. And no one in particular really stuck out to me at that position. It didn't feel like anyone felt 100% comfortable yesterday. How could they? But um, is that small ball four position a concern of yours, Greg? Do you feel like someone's going to be able to fill that as effectively as Crowder did? 
I'm hoping it'll be Marcus Morris. Um, ah, I'm good, curious to see to see him evolve. This can be our transition. Um, but I think I think he can do more or less everything Crowder can do. He didn't shoot the ball quite as well last year, but he also wasn't in a lot of great spots in Detroit. Um, and he, I think Crowder at his peak defensively may have been a little bit of a better defender as well. But Morris is pretty solid defensively. He moves his feet well, and I think he can slot in there reasonably well um and you might not need quite as productive a player there adding hayward into the mix as well yeah so there's our breaking news tonight <laughs> we uh, need an alert yeah we need some sort of sound i'll find one yeah <laughs> beep, 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 something crazy <laughs> this is big news big red hot news right off the presses marcus morris is a free man and every Celtics fan feels good about this. Eric Hood, probably not so much, but every Celtics fan is going to feel good about the fact that Marcus Morris found not guilty in his assault trial out in Arizona. We expected it to wrap up this week, and uh, it did tonight, Tuesday night. Yeah, so he's going to be walking free, no jail time, uh, no penalties whatsoever from the legal system. We'll see what the league does. I can't imagine there'll be a suspension after a not guilty verdict. But uh, we'll keep an eye on that front. But as of now, Marcus Morris is going to be rejoining the team. He'll be playing Friday. And like Greg said, he might be that small ball four. He might be the final piece of the puzzle when it comes to the cohesion of that starting lineup. So, (laughs) Greg, I'll let you handle it first. What do you want to see from Marcus Morris Friday? He's only going to be a few days into uh, being with the team. But uh, what are your expectations? What do you expect the lineup to be around him? Really, what are you going to be looking for from him Friday? I'm hoping he's in the starting lineup. Um, I think, I mean, Baines actually made a decent case for himself in the first first game or as well, as good of a case as he could have made, I think. Yeah. Um, but really, I just want to, this is going to sound a little bit foolish, but I just want to see him. I don't really know. I have no <laughs> idea what to expect in terms of how he's going to fit in with everyone. There's been no real reports because he hasn't been at camp. So uh, it's hard to get a sense of like exactly what his role will look like. And hopefully it's filling that small ball for role. But that could be a lot of different things. It could be uh, attacking people off the dribble. It could just be standing in the corner shooting threes, um, which I think is probably more of what it will be. It's just kind of acting as a floor spacer and switching a lot on defense. I hate to bring it up, but remember when you told us LeBron James was good, you might have just beat yeah. that analysis. <laughs> you might have just, you might have just beat that, that analysis. Correct. Yeah, you might have just beat that analysis with uh, you want to see Morris. <laughs> a bold, bold statement going into Friday. Just giving you a hard time, Greg. Matt, what, what do you think, how important of a role is Morris going to play to the team's success this year? You talked about they're in a weird spot where they're developing, but they're also trying to compete. A veteran guy like Morris is going to be really important to how well they compete with Cleveland, especially we've heard it again and again how well he's played on LeBron James in the past. So people will be dying to see that on opening night. Uh, as, of, as for Friday, what are you looking for out of Morris? Yeah, I, I think Morris is uh, someone who could fill the Jay Crowder role if they're looking to downshift uh, in the critical minutes in the fourth quarter, move Al Horford to the five. Uh, it's still obviously to be seen if Horford's going to start at the four because he, 
calls himself a power forward. Yeah. We know the Celtics best lineups are with him as a stretch center uh, facilitating. Uh, so just like Greg said, I, I prefer him as a stretch four uh, in the critical minutes because he can space the floor. He actually had great isolation numbers last year. Uh, I think he was in like the 80 something percentile on synergy. Uh, and, and Morris is someone that brings a lot of grit to the team. I think he and Baines are people, uh, are players that can really uh, be emotional leaders, enforcers, um, you know, bring a lot of grit and toughness to the team. And uh, the thing about Morris that people have said against him is that he doesn't rebound for his size, that his brother is a much better rebounder, which I don't, I don't disagree with that. Uh, so I'm curious to see how Morris does now that he's away from Andre Drummond, who's basically uh, a human hungry, hungry hippo for, for, for offensive and defensive rebounds. So I'm curious to see if Morris uh, can really step up his rebounding, because that will make it a lot easier to play him as a four with the Celtics uh, rebounding issues. They actually re- out-rebounded the Hornets 52 to 45 last night. A huge part of that is because they had Baines in there uh, with Horford uh, in the uh, at the beginning of the game and in the second quarter as well. So I- I'm very curious to see what Morris can do. I think he's a very polished player. He can space the floor for the Celtics. Uh, he can run a lot of off-ball stuff. Uh, that, you know, he's not a, a very ball-dominant player. So I think he fits seamlessly into what they're trying to do uh, in terms of spacing and ball movement and player movement off the ball. So it, it'll be interesting now that he's done with his legal issues, if he can transition back to the team and kind of develop a role uh, on this roster. Yeah, it's great that that's not hanging over them anymore. That was a big concern of mine going in. Danny Ainge acted like he had no worries in the world about it, and he turned out to be right. So maybe he knew something we didn't about it. Morris is coming back to the team. And, uh, yeah, multidimensional playing. Didn't talk about that in the opener, but this team... Every single guy really brings like two positional versatility, a lot of speed at every position. You can see why they want to get back to up tempo play this year. And if I'm just going to give one last initial reaction to this team, it's like this this team looks like future basketball. That's where they've wanted to be, but you look at the opening minutes, you got Horford standing up top, you got Biggs up in the three-point area you got Marcus Smart boxing out down low you got guys on the wing you got Gordon Hayward running set like everybody is just doing everything on this roster and you can't think of that as anything but good this team is just stacked with versatility Baines probably falls on the lower end of that one position guy but only one guy playing one position on this team not bad at all. Kyrie Irving, we didn't hit too much on him in this one. I'm, we got plenty of time to talk about him this season. But him in the motion offense definitely looked like there was a concerted effort on his part to really get moving off the ball yesterday. Those are just two of my final takeaways. Uh, I'll pass it to you guys. Any other final takeaways out of game one? The initial reaction to the Celtics. Greg. Oh. <laughs> okay, I was going to let Matt go. But, um... Yeah, no, I'm just excited. I think there's a, still a lot of open questions. I'm excited to see how the minutes, the allocation of minutes really shakes out. But yeah. I think uh, I think this offense could be really, really good, like top three in the league kind of good. Um, so I'm excited to see it come together in sort of a more coherent way. I So what I when I look at a, a preseason game, I try not to overreact to too much uh, individual numbers and things like that. I'm looking more at the scheme, what they're trying to do, big picture wise. You know, Brad said that they didn't call make a ton of play calls last night because they just want the guys to learn how to play together. Uh, and to me, uh, what we heard all summer coming out of the Celtics camp, 
switchability, versatility, ball movement, spacing the floor, all of that came through last night. Running the offense through Horford at the top of the key. Sometimes he was setting three, four screens of each possession, finding guys coming off curls, facilitating from the top of the key, and really opening up the lane for players to either cut to the basket or drive to the basket. That's something that I noticed right away in the first quarter. And then defensively, more positionless basketball. They forced 19 turnovers. I thought they did pretty well along the perimeter defensively. They struggled once the Hornets were able to penetrate, once they got to the basket. I thought their interior defense, as expected, was not as strong as you would like it to be. But big picture-wise, it seems like everything that they're preaching, they're practicing, which is what you want to see when with an overhauled roster like that. So I'm just excited to get into it, you know, to see the changes. Skinny Marcus Smart in a contract Skinny Marcus year. Smart. <laughs> uh, Terry Rozier is now Terry Rozier the third. So that'll take some getting used to as well. Uh, so a lot of moving parts here, and it's uh, it's just a great time to be covering the team, um, following the Celtics, a fan of the Celtics. Uh, I think there's just a lot of storylines to cover, which is oh, great. Skinny Marcus Smart. That will definitely be a big topic next episode. I can't believe we didn't even get to him tonight. Uh, before we go, got to give you our voicemail of the night. Got a good, nice, long voicemail here. And voicemail is one of the unique things we do here on the Banners broadcast. I really want you guys to give me a call. Let me know what you're thinking. Give us some questions if you feel like it takes. Uh, even say something crazier than Tommy. It's a big challenge, but you might be able to do it. Uh, 978-595-1744. 978-595-1744. Uh, here's our voicemail of the night. Yeah, how you doing? Um, I was just going to say I think the new Celtics are going to be um, – just loads of fun to watch this year. You know, Kyrie driving and kicking out to Horford, um, that's going to be almost unstoppable. If they can maintain that. Um, the ball movement around, mostly around uh, Kyrie, Horford, and Gordon Hayward, um, they were moving the ball extremely well, um, created a lot of open shots for, you know, some corner guys. Um, you know, the pick and roll with Kyrie and Horford, I think, is going to be um, incredible, almost if not better than what it was last year. Uh, but, yeah, I'm excited to see what this Celtics team can do. Um, I think the potential's there. Um, they certainly looked like they meshed very well last night, so I'm excited to see uh, what else the future has in store for our Celtics. So, uh, yeah, thanks. There you have it. want to hear from you next week, 978-595-1744. We'll answer your questions. We'll hear what you have to say. Good one right there. Before we go, I do want to say, I haven't addressed it yet, but uh, Jared Weiss, uh, on the forefront of the news tonight on the Marcus Morris front, great reporting from him on that aspect. Some of the uh, news we heard out of Arizona, he had some of the details first there. Great, great reporter who I'm so sad to see not getting his byline on the site anymore. A Celtics blog originated. We've seen a lot of legends come through the Celtics blog site who have gone on to do great things in the national media, and now Jared is the next in a long line of them. He's been with the site since I started. Greg got to spend a little bit of time with him. Matt, uh, I've followed him for years. Yeah. I've followed Jared for years. He's a, he's a great writer. Everyone should go to USA Today, check out his stuff now. Uh, he's going to be doing some really, really interesting work over at USA Today. Uh, so uh, it, it's going to be a tough loss uh, for the blog, for, yeah. for Jared Gunn. Couldn't have said it better myself. I know Greg feels the same way. We owe a big debt of gratitude to 
Jared because he kind of took that extra effort. A lot of people have come and written to the site, given their thoughts and stuff, but Jared took that next step, established relationships with the Celtics organization. I mean, he tells us again and again, they read what we uh, write over here, so that's always fun to hear. And um, taking the blog from being, you know, a blog, blog kind of has that negative connotation, but it seems like around the league, uh, around the basketball realm, NBA, Twitter, people have come to respect Celtics blog as a legitimate, forefront, credible news organization, journalistic organization when it comes to covering the Celtics. I know we're all grateful that we're viewed in that way and we're kind of carrying the torch that Jared started for us. So we thank him a lot. We're going to miss him. Glad he'll still be at the Garden. Glad he'll still be with CLNS Media on our part. But want to thank him for the advice he gave to me coming up with the site. Um, you know, Matt got to give his words. Greg as well. Craig, what can you say about Jared? Nothing but good stuff, right? <laughs> for sure, yeah. I uh, He's been nothing but, or was nothing but supportive from my first day there. Actually, my very first day at Celtic Blog, really, I think I had like a seven or eight long email chain with him because I was trying to write something and I had no idea what I was doing. Um, so definitely appreciate all the support he gave us. And uh, chefs to you, Jared. Great job. No doubt. Thanks, Jared. We're going to keep it moving at Celtics Blog, as we always do. Be sure to check out those film breakdowns, the analysis from Game 1, Tice article up, Aaron Baines article up, a number of news stories up now as they continue to flow through. It never stops on the Celtics front. So thank you for everybody for listening. Give us a subscribe. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on the CLNS Media app, so you can find us anywhere, no matter what phone you have. Thanks to Greg. Thanks for Matt making his debut on the Banners broadcast. As always, check out what they're doing over at CelticsBlog.com. We'll see you next week. Thank you, guys, and thank you for listening, everybody. Peace. Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden, mostly those who wear Celtic green. What is so special about the Boston Garden, other than the fact that it's a 1,000 years old? Let's take a look. <laughs>